Aloha and welcome to Elevating Motherhood. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Lori Beth Aldridge. I've taken my passion for conversation, perspective, and supporting moms and turned it into a podcast. My goal is to talk openly about motherhood, offer new ideas, and help moms find their confidence in this busy and sometimes overwhelming world we live in. We're going to dive deep, open up, and elevate motherhood. Thanks for being here with me. Let's get started. I have a new affiliate relationship that I'm excited to share with you. Wellness, the company started by the amazing Katie Wells of the Wellness Mama podcast, reached out to me and asked if I'd like to join their affiliate team, to which I replied a very enthusiastic yes. I was already a fan of their products and using them every day, so the relationship just made sense. My family uses their shampoos, their conditioners, toothpastes, including a strawberry kids toothpaste that my girls love, um, their dry shampoo, their toothbrushes, copper tongue scraper, and silk floss. I really appreciate Wellness's focus on clean quality ingredients and that they value performance, transparency, and accountability as a B Corps. Their products work, and I trust Katie's judgment when it comes to ingredients because we feel the same way about products. Our body absorbs what we put on our skin, so what we put on our skin matters. Wellness has generously offered a discount code for listeners of Elevating Motherhood. Use the code LoriBeth, L-O-R-I-B-E-T-H at checkout for 10% off your order. Visit wellness.com, that's wellness with an E at the end, dot com forward slash LoriBeth. That's wellness.com forward slash LoriBeth. Today's episode is also sponsored by Homeschool Explained, an online course I created to help parents find their confidence in their homeschool journey. I used to teach in-person workshops on Maui to help families gather all the information and resources they need, answer all of their questions, alleviate concerns, and help them get organized as they started homeschooling. Homeschool Explained is the online version of those in-person workshops. I totally get it. Starting any new journey can be really overwhelming, especially when it comes to rethinking how your kids are going to get an education and that you are going to be their teacher. But don't worry, there is so much support and freedom in homeschooling. It's fun, it's doable, and it takes way less time than most people think. I put 15 years of homeschool experience and insights into this easy to follow, easy to use online course that answers common questions, helps you work through worries and saves you time. No more internet search overload. This is all the information you need to get started homeschooling today from a trusted experienced source. I show you what modern homeschool days actually look like, all while covering major topics like curriculum, homeschool styles, subjects to teach, cost, state laws, socialization, and so much more. This course takes the guesswork out of where and how to begin and leaves you with solid support and resources. If you want to start your homeschool journey with confidence, find out more at homeschoolexplained.com. That's homeschoolexplained.com. There was a crazy letter circulating on Instagram recently that was penned by three OBs from New York about birth plans, letting their clients know, specifically their pregnant moms, that birth plans were not welcome in their practice. In their letter, there was a poor attempt to justify their reasoning behind this, but the simple fact that this quote unquote rule exists in their practice 
and was put into place is enough to show me that women need to talk about birth plans more, including what they are and why they are so essential. Birth plans are about so much more than the ridiculous stereotypes that surround them. People dismiss them, you know, medical providers, OBs, and even some moms thinking, you know, they don't need them because their birth is not going to go according to that plan anyway. So why create one? And just a lot of people assume that women are creating them because they think their birth can be planned, but we do not create birth plans, hoping our births will be perfect. Birth plans are an education tool, a path to clear communication with a healthcare provider. And so, so much more that we'll talk about today with the amazing Dr. Sarah Leahy. It is insane to me that there are OBs in this world that don't trust in a mother's ability to give birth to the point that they want to manipulate and micromanage every aspect of our pregnancy and birth experience down to our expectations about our births and our right to communicate with them. Birth plans are a necessity now more than they have ever been. In this episode, you're going to hear real life examples, stories from our birth and pregnancy experiences, how to find your conviction and strength to speak up and even elephant in the room topics. Like I want to have a home birth, but my partner doesn't and explanations for basic questions. Like why do I need a birth plan? And how do I start to create a birth plan? Dr. Sarah Leahy is a friend of mine. She's also a doctor of chiropractic, mother of three artist, birth educator, and the creator of birth uprising. She shares passionate, funny, and informational videos and slides on the regular over on her Instagram account at birth uprising. She is an incredible voice in the birthing space right now. And I am so stoked to introduce you to her without further ado. Let's welcome the compassionate and charismatic Dr. Sarah Leahy to the show. Aloha, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Oh, this is fun. I love it when we get to talk. This is super, super fun. We've already been talking for 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we have. have. Time to bring everybody else in on the awesome conversation. Well, before we get started, I'd love for my listeners to get to know more about you in your own words. Sure. Uh, So I am Dr. Sarah Leahy. I am a chiropractor, though I haven't been practicing since I had kids. My husband took over the practice, uh, but that's my formal training. I also have a master's degree in nutrition, and I'm a birth educator mostly on Instagram, uh, Mm -hmm. where I find lots of women and families who just aren't getting the information that they need to make the choices that are best for them during their prenatal care or birth or postpartum. And so I like to be logical and uh, use common sense and teach people how to uh, use critical thinking skills when it applies to this realm, especially, but in, in all things that just because somebody tells you that something is not allowed or it's the only option or we're doing this next visit, doesn't mean that's the only way to go. So I like to teach people how to question whether what they were told was true or whether there are other options for them uh, so that they can find the best possible outcome, you know, for their personal situation. Uh, It's just, it was so lacking is what what I found. Um, And I got into this because my first baby had a C-section, which was totally unnecessary. And I was really traumatized by that. And I had PTSD and depression and anxiety for multiple years. 
until I had my second baby, which I free birthed, which means um, no medical attendant, just me and my husband at the birth. And it made me do a complete 180 and realize that it didn't have to be that way. And then I started digging into other people I knew, their stories, them telling me what had happened to them, and then extrapolating that into the greater audience and realizing that there were so many people that were being uh, abused and lied to and not given the information to make the right choices for them that I just, I can't keep my mouth shut. (laughs) And once I know that I, I didn't know what I would do in the beginning, but I knew that people needed help. I knew they needed information. Um, and so I started a Facebook group, which anyone's welcome to join, but I do not do anything with anymore. It's called the Autonomous Birth Project. That's where I did originally loads of polls and asked questions and heard birth stories, but only from a group of maybe 600 or so. And then I started my Instagram account and it grew from there so that I could give this information to a wider audience of people and allow them to make their own choices with more options than just, you know, being on the conveyor belt that is general maternity care. And here we are. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for showing up the way that you do for people because you being bold, you being, you speaking out and sharing your stories and sharing this information and helping people realize they do have a lot more autonomy than we are Mm -hmm. told that we have. In fact, we are presented with, I would say unhealthy boundaries um, and, you know, power struggles when it comes to our pregnancy and labor and delivery and then postpartum experiences. And anyone who is speaking out and giving information and, providing resources, because I do believe that moms have more confidence when they feel resourced. You know, we Mm -hmm. feel, we don't feel confident if we're questioning ourselves all the time and we're going to question ourselves all the time. If we're being questioned or being told basically to sit down and shut up and just like go through the conveyor belt process. And, you know, you can have a great relationship with your provider. If you just, you know, go with their flow instead of paying attention to your body, your baby, and, you know, your birth experience. And we're told all kinds of things like, well, healthy baby, healthy mom, what more could you ask for? And it's like, Oh, wow. And for those of us who went through traumatic births, um, it's so invalidating and so disempowering. And I know that my first birth, I was traumatized during my first birth too. And it took me years. And in fact, it was an aha moment during an interview that made me realize what trauma was and how it can come from big things like unnecessary C-sections and surgeries to simple things like um, the, a, a staff member in my room telling me, hold the baby in, your OB is not here yet. And I panicked in that moment and was traumatized because I realized I was unsafe. I was surrounded mm-hmm. in, by idiots who didn't know anything <laughs> about natural childbirth yes. while I was in transition. And while my baby was coming out and my body was naturally ejecting the baby and I was being instructed not to be in present in the moment and, and deal right. with what was really happening, but actually um, being told to stop that yeah, because one person wasn't in the room. Well, and because I was of a like, hospital protocol that makes 
absolutely no sense. Right, right. Yeah. And for a long, long, long time, I was really angry about that. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not happy about it now, but I yeah. can't help but feel that I had that experience to light a fire under me to mm-hmm. speak up and speak out for other women. And I'm just kind of curious, do you feel similar with your oh, C-section yeah. experience? Yeah, for sure. I don't, I know a lot, I'm at the place now where I I don't regret it at all. It was an awful thing to go through. And, uh, you know, the subsequent two years before I had my second birth were really, it was a really hard start to motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, it just made me, any, anytime I saw someone who was sharing their birth story, who had a birth like I wanted to and could have had, had I not gone to the hospital or had support rather than uh, fear thrown at me, um, I would go into the spiral of guilt and more depression and questioning myself and what could I have done differently and just being just spiraling. Um, but now having had that second birth and then I, I have a third son too, who was also born at home. Um, it's, it, it is what lit the fire under me. I saw it all from a firsthand perspective, what it was like to Have an IV after you told them you didn't want one, to be in a bed after you said you didn't want to be in a bed, to be told that you can't be, you can't birth in the tub. Oh, the jets are broken in this tub. Oh, it's, you can only have it be 90 something degrees because, because why? Because I'm going to boil my baby. Um, You know, that you can't, you can't get out of the bed. Now you have to have this continuous monitor. Now we're going to, we should break your water. Um, You, maybe we should give you some Pitocin. I don't know if I had that, but I don't even want to look at my records to just make me more mad. And then eventually, maybe we should do the surgery. It's been too long. And to say no, 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 repeatedly and eventually say, fine. Because because you're just being beaten down, especially while you're in labor, like, leave me alone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those are decisions to not be being made at that time. They should be discussed with you during your prenatal care. And they should be respected during that time. And it's just Mm -hmm. it's infuriating. But I'm glad that I experienced it firsthand. So I can say without a shadow of a doubt what what the difference is when you have the support that you wanted to have and you were allowed to let your body do what it was made to do uh, Mm -hmm. instead of being told that you can't or that's not our policy or, um, you know, what would happen? You're going to do something to your baby like like you care less about your own baby than these random people who work at this hospital who you'll never see again. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm, I get mad about a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I understand. And, yeah. oh man, in the realm mm-hmm. of birth plans, looking at these stories through the realm of birth plans, I did have a birth plan with my mm-hmm. first, um, also my second, also my third and a verbal one with my fourth, mm-hmm. <laughs> But my first plan, I just kind of want to point out to listeners that you are a very strong woman, Mm -hmm. very strong, very knowledgeable woman. I am a very strong, very knowledgeable woman who did all kinds of research about pregnancy and birth and had a very well thought out plan that literally involved dozens of books and tons Mm -hmm. of Instagram accounts and tons of podcasts. And yet we still had these um, births that were Mm -hmm. less than stellar. And we were literally beat down at one of the most vulnerable moments of our entire lives. And we gave in to certain Mm -hmm. things, Um, uh, all the things. It's a lot to unpack. So I'm going to cut right to the elephant in the room, Mm -hmm. which is 
um, about birth plans and people who don't accept them and the naysayers, like, what do you say to people like pregnant women, providers and moms who have given birth and had their plans go awry? I mean, us Mm -hmm. included who claim that birth plans are useless. You know, I mentioned to Mm -hmm. a really good friend of mine that I was going to do an episode on birth plans Mm -hmm. and their response was, well, the only birth plan is write the plan, throw out the plan. That's the plan because nothing ever goes according to plan. Mm -hmm. And I kind of cringed and I love that friend dearly, (laughs) but I was also like, like, oh man, there's more to it than that. The, mm-hmm. So what do you say to people who sit hear our stories and mm-hmm. then also um, think that birth plans are, are basically useless? Well, that what you just said, I actually used an audio that sounds exactly like what you just said your friend said in a reel that I did. So go back and look at that. But because okay. <laughs> it was funny. Um, but it's not making the birth plan, having that piece of paper isn't the point. Mm-hmm. The point is there's so much that you don't know you're going to have to know. And by making this plan, you're educating yourself on those things. And mm-hmm. then you really know what's best for you in that moment. Or if things change, like say you decide uh, you don't want an epidural. And you learn all about epidurals and what's included in them and the risks and the side effects and all of the things. And you say, I don't want one. And then in the midst of your labor, you change your mind. Even with the information that you have, you say, in this moment, I know what I'm taking on and I accept that risk because right now I feel like this is the best choice for me in that moment. I have the information. I want to do it. You're so much less likely to have regret if something did happen. Because you knew what you were getting into. I find that the women who have a lot of regret, it's because they weren't fully prepared, either with the knowledge to make the choices that they needed to make at the time, or with the setting or with the support people. They didn't pick the right place. Maybe they just went to whatever hospital was closest, or they didn't look into birth centers, or they didn't even consider home birth. And afterwards, they realize if they had known more, they would have done it differently, and it could have had a different outcome. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's not it's nice to have that piece of paper, especially if it's something that's easy to read for you, your partner, the staff there, your doula, if you have a doula, so that everyone can be on the same page if they're not jerks, and they'll actually look at it because lots of places don't even care. Um, they just are going to do what they're going to do to you and they, your preferences don't matter. Um, but it's more about educating yourself and finding the confidence to say, no, I am not doing that. Please leave this room. No, I don't want that. Don't ask me again because otherwise they will, they'll still hound you about it. Even if you told them, like I made a birth plan, but my birth plan was, uh, for my first was, uh, kind of a questionnaire that the hospital offered. And it was actually pretty comprehensive. I was okay with it. And I answered all their questions and I handed it in ahead of time. And they couldn't find it when I actually went to the hospital to have my baby. And I was like, for real? (laughs) So it's a good idea to have one and to also have multiple copies and to even laminate Mm -hmm. it and like stick it on a wall and um, have it in the room with you. But To anyone who says, you know, what about that? What's that saying? Um, Failing to plan is planning to fail. Not that you could fail at your birth because you're still giving birth regardless. But if you don't plan for it's a huge life event. How long do you spend planning your wedding? 
If you didn't plan your wedding, wouldn't it probably just be kind of a mess? You spend a year planning this one night you know, where everyone has to wear the right things and every decoration has to be perfect and the cake and all the things. And I mean, really did that matter in the long run? But how, what happens to you during your birth and early postpartum and during your prenatal care will affect you forever, literally Mm -hmm. forever, good or Mm -hmm. bad. It changes you. And if you're, especially if it's your first baby and you haven't been through it and you don't understand that, Mm -hmm. you really just, you need to listen to other women who've been through some stuff good and bad, and just get yourself educated on all the things you'll have to make choices about so that you don't feel overwhelmed. So if you're in the middle of labor and someone's asking you, honey, you sure you don't want that epidural? You can know I don't or I do now Mm -hmm. at this point. I changed my mind. Right. So so naysayers, back off. (laughs) That's what I think. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. I think that the wedding plan analogy is perfect because it's something that hopefully isn't going to cause you lifelong trauma. Um, you know, an event in your <laughs> life that isn't going to be like something that affects your, your, you know, hormone levels and things like that every single right. day, you know, post wedding. Um, and <laughs> I don't know anyone who had wedding plans. that was like, it, it went off without a hitch. It was like absolutely yeah. perfect. And every flower didn't have a spot on it and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Like that's not the point of the wedding plan, but it is to get organized and to mm-hmm. express your preferences to everyone mm-hmm. around you so that you can be a part of a big event that has lots of moving parts and understand what needs to be done, said, all of that. You know, you have mm-hmm. a say in your vows, you have a say in all of this stuff and that then you don't have a say in, in your birth. I, I I wrote like a little chart. I love um, visualizing what it is you're talking about. And like the birth plan, I think a lot of the naysayers seem to think like, oh, you have a plan that that means that that's your expectation for how things are going to go. On a very basic level, yeah, I expect you to respect my personal choices and preferences and autonomy and my right to choose what is best for me and my baby. Um, And birth plans to me, I I wish that the stigma surrounding them would just disappear and people would honor them for what they are. It's a Mm -hmm. mom coming to the table with research. They've done their research. They're not just copying and pasting someone else's birth plan from the internet. They are looking at all the different areas and choosing what their preference is based on the research that they have done. So basically birth plans, I don't know if they're intimidating to hospital staff and providers and and things like that, even partners sometimes, because we have done our research and come to the table educated. So the birth plan is providing us with informed consent and reducing regret. And Mm -hmm. we need those two things in birth and those two things that feels like informed consent is kind of sort of talked about, but reducing regret I mean, my gosh, if you had the opportunity to do that before your baby was even born, mm-hmm. man, you know, there's all this talk about mom guilt and things like that. But I know women who went into birth, um, didn't know what they were having, had a son and went, oh, shoot, I forgot to research circumcision. Mm-hmm. And now I have like 2.2 seconds to decide. Right. And they're like, uh, 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 and looking around for somebody else to decide. And, and that is a true story. And that's not every mom who's been presented with that situation. But I've heard women who were like, I chose to do it. And now I regret it. Mm-hmm. I and- met someone just the other day. Well, a friend who divulged to me that she regretted it with her two sons and like, tears were welling up in her eyes because she can't mm-hmm. take it back. But right. like, that happens that happens a lot and not just with that particular thing but mm-hmm. all kinds of things well and i think 
it's ridiculous that birth plans even have to exist. The purpose mm-hmm. of a birth plan really is to decrease the likelihood that you're going to be abused while you're in this setting, to decrease the likelihood that people are going to do stuff to you that you don't want done. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, it's ridiculous. And it's the same with doulas. Doulas are wonderful, support people, um, and they really help a lot of women to make it through their births the way that they want to and to keep them from having things done to them that they don't want. But in a lot of settings, doulas are bodyguards. That's yeah. basically their job. And it's it's I think it sucks mm-hmm. that that has to be anyone's job. Why should you have to go into into your birth or go anywhere with basically a paid bodyguard so that you don't get harmed? Mm-hmm. Like that's what does that say about that setting? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it right there. I mean, birth culture needs to be elevated. There need to be major changes. Birth uprising is totally needed. You're totally needed at this moment in time. And oh man, I just added that to my visual of like the birth plan is to reduce regret, um, you know, foster informed consent and reduce abuse. It's just mm-hmm. wild that we have to have something to do that, but it's true. So One insane. thing um, I will point out with like my birth plan. So I had a birth plan, stuff happened. It was traumatic. And every single time something on my birth plan was disrespected. I'll just go ahead and say that out loud. Four mm-hmm. times over, something was not respected. By the time I got to the fourth though, while in labor, I was like, hey, we're going to have a little come to Jesus talk here. <laughs> okay, with everybody in the room between contractions. Okay, I'm just going to come back into myself and out of my little birth bubble and I'm just going to talk about some things. Okay. One of the reasons I chose home birth. All right. Is so just a minute, excuse me, coming back. Okay. Was so that, you know, I would be respected, you know, but so every single situation, there was something that didn't go quote unquote, according to plan. But I will say looking back, especially on that first birth plan where I didn't know after the baby was here, it was that birth plan that helped me hold my conviction with certain things I did and did not want for the baby. And I ended up with a pediatrician who no longer has hospital privileges at that hospital, by the way. Ah. Um, I had to sign out against, I had to sign out against medical advice. Um, AMA with my first baby. I'm wondering if CPS was going to come knocking at my door because that is the level of threat that is like presented to you. If you do things like refuse IGOOP sometimes, you know, but, but you have the right to do that. And, and understanding not only what the IGOOP is, why it was first introduced, um, why it is hospitals have taken it on. And then also why it is people would refuse it. Um, and then what happens when you refuse it? Like sometimes they don't care. Sometimes they care deeply and make you sign forms, you know, AMA, um, just kind of knowing what you're up against to, reduce regret, reduce abuse, foster more informed consent in that situation. So I would not say that my birth plan didn't work ever, mm-hmm. ever. I would say that it actually worked in my favor so that when I was in vulnerable moments, I could have something to refer back to for sure. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think I think they're important for everybody. I think they're less important for if you're having a home birth, because generally, if you're having a home birth, you're plan is pretty well understood by the midwives that will be attending you if you have them. And generally, you have uh, continuity of care, which means Mm -hmm. the people you see during your prenatal appointments, who you'll discuss all of this stuff with, will be the people who are at your birth. 
That doesn't happen at a hospital. Uh, if it's a large hospital, there could be dozens and dozens of doctors who work in the same group and you get who you get who shows up. And not only that, those aren't the people that are attending you most of the time. Those people might pop in and out and check on you here and there for three minutes. The people who are attending you are the nurses and never met. that you could not have possibly met. There's mm -hmm. no possible way unless you've given birth at that hospital before and there's like five nurses and you met them all. There's no, which there's no possible thing. way, <laughs> which, which right. It can happen if it's a smaller hospital, you could know them, yeah. but, but you don't know, you know, where did they go to school? What mm -hmm. were they taught? What is their philosophy on birth? Do they know other things? What were their birth experiences? What have they seen in that hospital? What's driving them to, you know, tell you what's, what's allowed and what's not allowed. You know, when I was at my, the hospital for my first, it really depended on the nurse. Like I had a young nurse with one, I had already gotten an epidural and I said, I'd like to turn around and be like kind of on all fours, but with the bed, the back of the bed raised up so I can mm -hmm. hold on over the bed, even though I don't have full control of my legs right now. And one nurse who was younger was like, oh, I'm not comfortable with that. Um, and I was like, okay, whatever, your shift's going to end soon. And then the next person came on and was like, yeah, sure, whatever. So it really depends on who you have, how much fighting you're going to have to do, whether they're going to go along with what you, you know, you, you request, uh, whether they are going to ask for permission from the doctor or claim something about liability or policy or whatever. You can't know those people. Mm -hmm. And so having a birth plan for a, a home birth is less important, but you can still have one just mm -hmm. as a reminder, just as a, a way for you to research all of these things. Um, but in a hospital, I feel like it's an absolute must. If you mm -hmm. don't, you're really just setting yourself up. You could end up with a the birth that you wanted. It may All the stars may align. And, uh, you know, you may have a quick birth and the, the person who's the nurse on staff that night thinks exactly how you think. And you, that one doctor that you liked out of your practice is the one on call and everyone respects you and they allow you to have twinkle lights and, you know, no one's pressuring you for anything. That's a possibility, <laughs> but it's not likely. Um, and so if you don't have a plan, you you really can set yourself up. I mean, what's the harm in doing it, honestly? Mm -hmm. what, why, why wouldn't you want to go through all of these options so that you know what you're getting yourself into? Because especially if you haven't given birth before, it can be really hard, mm -hmm. like really hard and exhausting. And if you have people in your space who are breaking you down instead of building you up, they're mm -hmm. telling you you can't and we can help you. We can save you rather than supporting you. You're less likely to stick to what you wanted in that moment and then have that regret later. Um, but if you have a plan and you know what you want and you have a supportive partner or you have a doula and you've set yourself up as much as you can for success in what you wanted, you're more likely to come out on the other end with you know, being proud of yourself for sticking to your guns, whatever that means for you and starting off motherhood, you know, with that in mind, I think that's, that's really discounted. Like you said before, healthy mom, healthy baby is a lot of times what they'll, they'll say, that's all that matters. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. And by healthy, they mean not dead. Right. They, and they, they mean, mean you, not a lawsuit. Yeah. And, and not a lawsuit. Right. Mm -hmm. And well, and also, 
I mean, that's a whole other topic, but <laughs> it's almost impossible. You would think that if you were abused, there would be a way to uh, make these people accountable. And there's basically not. It's mm-hmm. almost impossible if someone like I've I've heard stories of women who were told to hold their baby. And like you, what, one woman actually did win a lawsuit because she was she had physical, obvious nerve damage from what they did to her. Um, but it's almost impossible to make anyone even face like uh, repercussions at work for what they did to even get a slap on the wrist at their job because it's their word against yours. And who are mm-hmm. they going to believe? The guy in the white coat? you know, Or who, the lady who, who seemed out of her mind in the moment. Right. You know? She must have misunderstood. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. She must have misunderstood. So it's it's really impossible to get you know, to get have any repercussions if someone harms you in that setting. If you were harmed in the same exact way on the street, t- entirely different story. Mm-hmm. It's but interesting. If you're in, but if you're in there giving birth, like if you were like cervical exams, for example, if you decline a cervical exam, which is for those of you who don't know, it's they can do it before labor. It literally means nothing. How dilated mm-hmm. your cervix is does not determine when you're going to go into labor, how long your labor is going to be, when your baby's going to be born. Even if you are given a cervical exam during labor, it's still, it could be five minutes, it could be five hours, it could be five days. It's for the hospital to determine how much longer this is going to take and if they should speed things up. It's all about them and their schedule. It's not about you. Mm-hmm. But say you decline cervical exams, which is super uncomfortable. It's them putting their fingers up inside you and seeing what size the opening is at this stage and it's subjective mind you totally Um, depends on the size of the person's hands depends on the size of the person's hand the position that they're in what they feel it's all by feel it's subjective so right and i actually read research on this it's not it's i forget what percentage of the time it's not um the the people who are doing these exams don't agree it's like Half of the time they don't agree or something like that when they did a study on it. So so one person could say, oh, you're only four centimeters and someone else could say, oh, you're seven. And like half, yeah, like half of the time it's actually accurate. But say you didn't want one of those exams. You say, no, there's no purpose. I don't want that. You could introduce bacteria. What if you break my water by accident? Just no, I don't want that. And someone does it in the hospital without you knowing. Maybe you have an epidural and you didn't, you can't see because your belly's so big or, you know, whatever. They didn't tell you. Um, Someone did that to you and you weren't in labor. That's sexual assault. But in a hospital, they did it. Well, they ha- we had to, honey. We had to do that. So, I mean, it, it seems like a no-brainer, but pe- people don't see it in that way. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not allowed to put your hands in there if I say you're not allowed to put your hands in there. It doesn't matter what the setting is. <laughs> I said right. no. Yeah. You know? Yeah, just to put it out there, um, you know, for people who might be considering or had never even thought of having literally zero exams their entire pregnancy, labor mm-hmm. and delivery. Um, with my fourth, I had exactly zero, zero, good checks, zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's good, and I'm he's good. good. He's good. I had yeah. one. Um, it was during my labor. It was. I was unable to recognize in the moment that I was in transition. It's the part where you're like, Um, I just don't want to do this anymore. And with number two, I I realized it. But number three, I was just like, I I didn't recognize it. And they said, do you want me to check and see where you're at? And I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. And um, and, and it made no difference. Like I didn't do anything different as a result of it. Um, 
it it did tell me where I was at that stage. And then I just like got back into it and forgot that, you know, they had even done that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, you know, it's not comfortable and it can, it can be off and it mm-hmm. can, having those checks can, it can mess with your mind too. If you have a cervical check and you've been working really hard for hours and you feel like I must be progressing at X rate and you feel good about it. And then someone checks you and says, you're only two centimeters. I was like, don't say four. That's like the worst number ever. I think. <laughs> or, four, or four or what, you know, whatever. you're only, you're only this. Yeah. Um, you, you think to yourself, it's discouraging. And you think to yourself, oh my God, it's, it's been this hard this far. How much more do I have to go? Yeah. Can I do right. this? Right. Maybe I should it get takes you out of the moment. It really does. I will say one of the most empowering things I did in any of my births was not how it was not having any checks at all. Cause you realize they're unnecessary and it helped me stay in the moment because I was just there and I was in it until it was over. And that, that was right. it. And actually, um, your, your affirmation cards helped with that, helped oh, me good. stay in the moment. They were right by my bed and I can refer back to them. You know, mm-hmm. I definitely reached, I, I think I shared with you, I reached a point in my, uh, pregnancy where I was carrying, um, almost, I carried 41 weeks. I carried mm-hmm. over 41 uh, weeks with, or two forty-one, forty-one on the day, sorry, with two of the babies and 41 mm-hmm. and a half for one of the babies. Mm-hmm. And then the unnecessary one was being induced at 38 weeks, which caused mm-hmm. all kinds of crazy things. But um, mm-hmm. your affirmation cards on the wall, I did refer to as the wall of lies uh, for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, lies. I do not trust my intuition. I do not trust these things. Oh, my yeah. baby and I are not one. <laughs> you know, like, right <laughs> Yes. Moment. I just <laughs> so you do reach those those points or whatnot, but um, you find your power. You find mm-hmm. your power in it without a, from within. Mm-hmm. You know, like the power came from within, and with gentle reminders that the power was within me, rather mm-hmm. than being like you're two, four, six, eight. You know, congratulations. You can you're allowed to push now. You know, <laughs> right? Allowed. We'll allow it. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I do want to circle back around to something that you said of like, what's the risk of um, creating a birth plan, right? And and I did come up with like two thoughts that I think that moms may or may not have, which was they're afraid if they create a birth plan that they would be treated differently by hospital staff. Like mm-hmm. it would be like eye rolls and they would be disrespected and be like, whatever. It almost feels like some people, not everyone obviously, would do everything in their power to make sure that my birth plan didn't happen mm-hmm. because I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, how could you? You're just a woman. (laughs) Right. But I feel like we have to blast through that social stigma and that fear because Mm -hmm. we're moms, right? Moms are strong. We show up strong. We show up informed. We show up. Why, why shy away from that? You know, Mm -hmm. why shy away from the fact that we are, or try to hide it or dance around the fact of like, I know exactly what I'm talking about, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and and I'm here and showing up in my power and like, why would we step down from that? So I think that we can just shove that to the side as a social stigma that needs to change. Mm -hmm. And if you're afraid that you're going to be treated differently, get yourself a bodyguard. I mean, a doula, you know? Talk with your partner about that, you know, talk with them about Mm -hmm. that fact that you are afraid that this might happen. Maybe even call it out. Here's my birth plan. I'm afraid y'all are going to treat me differently because of this, (laughs) but I'm just trying to, you know, foster clear communication. And I think that it's going to take us showing up with these plans and making that the quote unquote norm 
in order to break through that stigma. And then the other thing is the other like risk that maybe people would think of is that they would feel like by creating the birth plan, they're creating expectations and then would be disappointed when those expectations aren't being met. But I would just encourage the perspective of what we talked about at the very beginning. Birth plans are not meant to be like wedding plans and everything has to be perfectly aligned in order for it to be a successful day. It's not an expectation. It's not a birth expectation. It is Mm -hmm. a way to reduce abuse, to reduce regret, to foster informed consent and clear communication. And Mm -hmm. it also strengthens moms who are showing up. So I did just want to like get rid of that fuzz in there of like some, Mm -hmm. some people thinking that there are risks associated with birth plans, but I think that there's Mm -hmm. a clear perspective and a way forward around any sort of perceived risks of Mm -hmm. creating a birth plan. Well, I have something to say about each of those things. So one, the first thing you said about being concerned about being treated differently or the way you're going to be perceived, just stop. We're taught from the time we're little kids, especially as girls, to be more concerned with how everyone around us is feeling and how they perceive us than our own feelings. And why do you care what Nurse Janet thinks about your birth plan? You're not going to see her again. Do you think she cares about you in reality? She does not. We're, we're stuck in this world where we think that everybody else cares. But if you think about how much you care about some interaction you had with someone 10 years ago that you didn't know, you, you don't. You don't care. You're not that important to this person. This is important to you. This will affect you for the mm-hmm. rest of your life. And it's, it should not be your business what that person thinks of you. It doesn't matter. So there's that. Good for you. And so, that, I mean, that's something that I've had to get out of as as well over the years. And I've realized that I do. Um, I the, the first time I think I really realized I did that and I just didn't say what I thought because that's not my first reaction. My first reaction is keep the conversation neutral. Don't make that person who said something stupid feel stupid. <laughs> but why? You're the one that said the dumb thing. Um, I was at a birthday party and with my first son, it was uh, a, fr- a friend's little kid's birthday party. And I was not yet pregnant with my second. I think I got pregnant like a week or two later. And I was wearing like a flowy shirt and I was in decent shape. And the mother-in-law of the child whose party it was said, oh, when's the second one due? As if like I was pregnant and, or looked like I was pregnant. And I said, oh, no, I just like flowy shirts. Like, no, Diane, you just told me I looked fat. What would make you think that I'm pregnant, Diane? And like, should I say that to you? Oh, Diane, have you gained weight? Like, what a rude thing to say to somebody. And why don't I call you out? Why is my first inclination to make you not feel dumb? And so I try not to do that (laughs) anymore. But if if you're somebody who's used to placating everyone, keeping yeah. the situation neutral, not letting other people feel stupid, internalizing the, you know, you you think about it over and over after the interactions have happened and wish you said something else. Now is the time before your birth to work on that because these people do not care what actually happens to you. They care about following protocol. They care about liability. They care about n- doing what they're comfortable doing, whether that's right for you or not. Mm -hmm. Um, And saying no might be in your best interest and not caring what they have to say. Mm -hmm. Birth needs Um, to be more mother-centered. And when you were mm -hmm. talking, I was like, yes, we should recenter the focus on ourselves. And that's so uncomfortable for us to do. 
But it is. if we're going to make these changes, we're going to have to request like, hey, we need to get to the, the heart of the matter here. And <laughs> yeah. this is really mo- supposed to be mom centered and not your protocol centered and your liability stuff centered and your personal preference centered or whether you're having a bad day or not centered. Right. This exactly. is a life changing event that should be mother centered. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And what was the second thing you said? Now I forgot. <laughs> oh, no worries. <laughs> um, oh, just afraid that um, by creating a birth plan that we're creating expectations. Uh, that aren't going to be met. Right. Well, and I understand that. But at the same time, like you are creating expectations. And that's okay. It's okay to create expectations for how you want anything to go. Um, And it's a whole lot less likely to go the way you want if you don't have those expectations. Right. And by having those expectations, you can do the things that will help you to get to that goal. So say you you want to have a vaginal birth in a hospital and your baby is breech and you're 36 weeks along and the hospital says, we don't do breech vaginal births here. Not because it's unsafe, but because we're literally not taught how to do that and we we just have a ban on it so we don't do it. That's the exact scenario with my second, by the way. Yeah. So that and that happens it's a lot. And so if that's the case and you're 36 weeks along and you don't know the things you can do to possibly, you want to stay at that hospital, you want to still give birth there, but you need to find a way to give your baby the best chance to be in a head down position. And you don't know those things, Uh then you might be doomed to have a surgery you don't want. And then once you have that first surgery, it's highly likely that you'll end up with a second and a third and a fourth that you don't want if you have more children, because the hospital might say, we don't do vaginal birth after cesarean. We don't do that. Not because Maui it's unsafe. Ma- Maui Memorial does. I mean, the pressure is on for those moms on that island. There's one hospital. There's one wing. There's like, yeah. what, six rooms? Maybe not even that many. That's crazy. I mean, you just don't have a choice or, or places to go. And so the pressure mm-hmm. is really on for a lot of people in smaller communities and islands in the middle of the ocean. You know, yeah, the, yeah. I mean, where are you going to go? <laughs> get it right, quote unquote, the first time. You know, and it's sort of right. like there's this extra pressure um, in there too. But then, man, I just... Even then, we are breaking through little by little um, by women having VBACs at home, by women, you know, finding workarounds. And we know of successful VBACs that have happened at that hospital. You know, we know of breach births that have happened. We know of breach training that is happening there. You know, there are things that are happening to to change birth and what it looks like, even with limitations. So Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, for moms who are feeling that extra pressure to, quote unquote, get it right, which is probably everybody, whether it's small yeah. town or big city, you could have seven mm-hmm. hospitals to choose from and you still feel that pressure to quote unquote, get it right. Just coming back to education, mm-hmm. reading the room when it comes to birth culture, where you live, you know, what's being mm-hmm. done, what options are available, but it's the birth plan. It's sitting down and starting your birth plan that helps you realize what your options are, mm-hmm. um, regional specific or procedure specific, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, it's you standing up and saying, you know, I expect to be respected and expect to be seen as a whole person in this situation. And since that's not the norm, let me lovingly guide you with how (laughs) to make it more personal to me, you know, with a personalized birth plan that's authored by you. I mean, it's one of the most like important, empowering things that a mom can do, whether Mm -hmm. it's your first or your fourth. Mm -hmm. So let's say a mom is motivated. I mean, how can they not be right? (laughs) We're we're cheering Mm -hmm. you on from (laughs) over here. Um, What is the first thing that you feel like a mom should do when she wants to sit down and write or create a birth plan? Well, I think 
firstly, you should, before you even make the plan, you need to learn about the different places that you can give birth and think about what it is you want for your birth. What do you picture it being like? Do you picture it being in, in a hospital? Do you picture it being busy? Do you picture there being a lot of monitors and things like what makes you feel comfortable? Or do you feel more comfortable at home mm-hmm. in your own space? Um, just a general idea. What does that look like in your mind before you even get into it? And then start learning about those locations. You know, what is it going to be like if you're actually in a hospital? Um, what will appointments be like during your prenatal care? Because they're very different with an OB versus with a home birth midwife. And, you know, what are, what do those appointments look like? What do they get to in those appointments? Uh, how long are the appointments? Um, what are some of the tests you may or may not want? Who's going to fight you on those things? Um, and who's more likely to accept that? So just kind of like a general background, I would say, of what you what you picture your birth to be like, where you feel the most safe, and then what you want for appointments and what you want for your birth as far as what you can expect based on hospital, birth center, home birth, or doing your own care. That is also an option uh, that a lot of women don't know about. And I probably got a lot of bit gasps as someone <laughs> listened to that part. <gasps> what do you mean I can pee on a stick on my own? <laughs> Um, but you can, I mean, and I'm not, this is, none of this is medical advice. You have to do what's right for you, but think about if you've, if you've had kids before and you've had OB care, which I have, um, what is done in those appointments? You know, you go up to the front desk and you check in with Doris, who still doesn't know your name, even though you've been there 14 times name, please. (laughs) Like it's me. I've bet you've seen me at the why will you, do I need a name tag? So she'll check you in and then you wait, you know, 45 minutes in the waiting room and then you go inside and a medical technician who is a helpful person, but is, does not have this overwhelming education. You know, they went to school for a year or two, maybe not even weighs you. You can weigh yourself, has you pee in a cup and they put a stick in it like literally a dipstick that tells you whether what the pH is um, and if there are certain bacteria present or uh, blood cells present or white cells present or, you know, they're dipping a stick. You can dip a stick. You can get it on Amazon. And, you know, maybe for blood work, if you wanted blood work, which isn't always necessary, Mm -hmm. then you might need some help. Or if you wanted an ultrasound, then you might need some help because you probably don't have an ultrasound machine. But you can take your own blood pressure. Mm -hmm. You can weigh yourself. You can measure your own belly if you want to. You can do your own kick counts if you want to. You can uh, see how you're feeling on your own. You can check your blood sugar if you want to prick your finger. A lot of the things that are done during your prenatal care, they don't require a medical degree. And, And doing your own care is not for everybody, but I encourage people to think about the fact that those things aren't rocket science, mm-hmm. you, you know, that's, right. and, that's actually the perfect perspective for us to think about it going into this plan of just being like, Oh, actually, now that you mention it, yes, I am capable of all of those things. 
Right. Super interesting. You know, are we capable of interpreting the results? My goodness, we live in the age of information. Right. It is literally out there for anyone to um, Mm -hmm. find out. And there are plenty of people who will give you their opinion about it. And yes, I'm talking about medical advice from medical practitioners. Like mm-hmm. They will tell you about it or not. And it's so empowering because a lot of times they're dipping that stick. And then like, do you even know why they're dipping that stick? No, they don't tell you. Or what the what, results are. Yeah, What stick they're dipping or like mm-hmm. what they're doing. Or like, say you, you go in for your 36-week appointment and they want to do a group B strep test, which is a swab that they they swab your vagina and your and your rectum with. And then they put it in a thing and they send it off to the lab. Could you do that to yourself? Like, do you need to get completely undressed and then lay on a table spread eagle so that someone else can swab your butt? Or could you do that yourself because you wipe your own butt? (laughs) Mm, Exactly. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, you could do that, but they'll never tell you that's an option because they don't trust you to wipe your Mm -hmm. own, to swab your own butt. Oh, now there's a room for error. Like, please, I'm an adult. I can swab my own butt. <laughs> watch me do that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you want to so watch? You want to yeah. watch? But- <laughs> no, it's actually weird now that you talk about it. You know, in, in these different <laughs> ways. But it is that, like, you know, what some people would ex- uh, describe as an extreme perspective shift in order for us to to find freedom in making these choices, right? We have to break so far out of this paradigm of information being kept from us in order to disempower Mm -hmm. us, you know, that we have to find ways to empower ourselves. And, and yeah, I don't know. One of the things I would encourage moms is to start now, like whatever point you are, if you're like, Oh, maybe I should do a birth plant plant, literally start now. (laughs) <laughs> write down exactly <laughs> write down this moment what it is can I swab my butt you know, like you just, can I swab my own butt you can write down anything <laughs> that you're thinking about that you're curious about and start writing it out start asking questions I also think it's something that you don't have to sit down and do in one day oftentimes it's like organizing like why do we put off why am I putting off on packing these boxes behind me you know in this house that still has boxes in it and will probably have boxes in it for a year it's because I put the pressure on myself the expectation that I probably if I'm going to do it make it worthwhile I should do every box in this room in one day Oh, I do that too. Don't have to do that, especially when it comes to birth plan stuff. You can instead sit down and be like, okay, I'm going to research, you know, what it is, what tests are coming up for the next, you know, two appointments, if you're having appointments or not, or start asking questions just in general and, and start educating yourself because that's what the whole thing is about. It's better to just start because you do not have to sit down. You don't have to have a computer. Exactly. You can have a pencil and paper and sit down and start writing stuff out as it comes to mind. My gosh. Exactly. Or look at the show notes here or look at any of Dr. Sarah's um, yeah. awesome resources that kind of help guide you through that. Because this is also not something that you have to, while you're creating it yourself, you do not have to put that pressure on yourself to, what do they, what do they say? Redesign the what? Like, um, oh shoot. I can't oh, think the of the wheel. Is it yeah, the wheel? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's it. Say the wheel. <laughs> you do not have to redesign the wheel. There's all kinds of different wheels out there. There's all kinds of different templates and things like that out there. So you don't have to sit down and do the research from square one. You can bounce off of other people's birth plans and ideas and things like that. Right. Yeah, there's tons of places. You can download birth plans for free. Um, I have one on my website. It's $8. It's not like overwhelmingly expensive. And it's a checklist and it's five different sections. And it goes over, you know, 
your preferences during labor, medications, if you might want those or not, um, comfort measures that are not medication related, things that you want or don't want done to the baby after they're born, Mm -hmm. section for C-section, if you want to put your preferences down in case you had one, and then a whole page for you to write extra stuff if you wanted to write extra stuff. But it's easy to read um, and it's simple. And I think that that's important. So whatever you, if you have a birth plan, don't just type it out like a three-page document because no one will read it. It needs to be something that's easy for the staff to read and understand just by looking right at it Mm -hmm. because it's a whole lot less likely someone's going to sit down and read a book and remember what the book said than if they can just say, okay, uh, you know, pain relief, medications, uh, don't, no epidural. Don't ask me. You know, they can be like, okay, this person doesn't want an epidural. It just needs to be clear. Mm-hmm. And there are, mine does that with a checklist. There are ones that do it with uh, visuals. They have little visual aids. Um, but whatever it is, just make sure it's concise and clear. And like you said, start early. You if Before you're pregnant, if you can, because mm-hmm. there are so many things you need to know. I started writing a book I know I've told you about. Um, it's a prenatal care workbook and it's not done yet. And I'm super slow because I have a bunch of kids, but um, <laughs> which I'm sure you understand. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but it'll happen eventually. It's like two thirds of the way done at this stage. But it's basically all the tests and procedures that'll be offered to you during your prenatal care. So, and information, background information on um, what you need to know going into your pregnancy as far as choosing the best provider, the best location, uh, what to expect payment-wise. Like, are you going to use your insurance? What's covered? What's not? What do these different words mean that are insurance-related? If you, you know, people in the U.S. tend to use their health insurance. Other countries, it's not as much of a thing. Um, But you want to know what costs are going to be up front because it could be really expensive, depending. Um, Just all the things like uh, that you can say no to literally anything, you know, stuff that Mm -hmm. no one tells you. And then a spot for you to put down what you picture your prenatal care being like. And then broken down each trimester, what tests and procedures should be expected during those appointments and when to expect them. So you can just do two now, one later, you know, you can go through it as your pregnancy progresses. So you don't feel overwhelmed. But when you feel confident in your information on a subject, you're so much more likely to be able to be bold in that moment. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel comfortable and you don't know the information and you think the per- the other person, because they have a white coat on, you can buy a white coat too, you know, if you- <laughs> and a stethoscope. If it's the white, the white coat intimidates people. It's a thing. It does. It's a thing. Um, but if, if the other person is intimidating you and you think they must know so much more than you, then you're more likely to succumb to whatever they want and not be bold in your decision-making because you don't, feel 100% confident in your choices. Um, so just having all of that information, whether it's the prenatal care stuff or it's during, you know, what what you choose for your birth, it's going to make you so much more likely to have the outcome you want um, than to just go with the flow, which is what I think a lo- I said that with my first. I was like, oh, I'll just go with the flow because that, there it is again. I don't want to disrupt anyone. I don't want to tell the hospital how to do their thing. I just, I don't want to be trouble. I don't want my OB to not like me. And so I'll just do, I'll just see how it goes. Birth mm-hmm. is unpredictable and it can be, but if you go to the hospital, I can pretty much predict what's going to happen to you. <laughs> right. Right. And so like if you, if you go to the hospital, someone who has an uncomplicated pregnancy, 
If you go to the hospital, you have on average a 33% chance that you'll have a C-section, needed or not. If you stay home, that chance is about 5%, which means something happened that needed to be transferred, you needed to be transferred, and you either chose or needed a C-section. You know, same group of people, 5% if you stay home, at least 33% if you go to the hospital. At least. At least. Some places it's way more than that. Some places Mm -hmm. it's less, but that's on average. And- I mean, if that doesn't say everything you need to know, I right. don't know what does. That's right. It turns out that uh, when it comes to packing our hospital bag, uh, we need conviction and a large, <laughs> uh, large, large, large amount of it. It's yeah. I had a visceral reaction to you saying like you didn't want to rock the boat. You just wanted to go with the flow. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that I wanted to have more than one kid. I knew that I was going to have more than one kid on Maui. And I, I, yeah, I brought some of my people pleasing tendencies to the hospital. Like mm-hmm. I like took in a deep breath, like, cause I recognized myself in that statement mm-hmm. too, even as a strong woman, even as a woman with birth, birth plans, all of that. But the point of all of this is, is that we, we do need to build up our conviction at this mm-hmm. time. Hopefully we are changing that for our daughters when they have their babies, you know, but mm-hmm. ha- creating this birth plan, sitting down and thinking about it, doing our research, slow and steady, a little bit at a time, we're going to discover things like we can change our minds, by the way. Mm-hmm. You're not writing your birth plan in a stone tablet with a chisel, you know, right? You're allowed to change your mind. You're allowed to opt out of things. That's a really important message for people to hear. And you're allowed to ask for more time. Let me think about that. You do not have to say yes or no, basically in any given moment. Not really, really, really. I mean, there are some emergency, you know, moments, um, genuine emergencies, not like sold to you emergencies, you know? Oh, and I don't think that people have ill intentions with any of this. We just live in such a messed up, messed up, messed up, messed up birth culture that this is what it's come down to. It's like, you know, a lot of times it's like good people, you know, feel coming to good people and like working within this junked up system and with liability and all of this stuff and the disrespect. And it just is like that dysfunctional that I think some people can start to feel like a lot of this commentary is like an attack on mm-hmm. on the system and well or no I'm sorry they'll take bit. it personally it's an attack yeah. on the system for sure <laughs> right. but you know people taking it super personally or being like oh I know OBs and they're super nice or I had experiences and that wasn't my experience I get a lot and of that's that good. too and that's yeah. good I get a lot of, I get a lot of that because every once in a while I'll get a message from someone who says why are you hating on obstetricians they save people's lives and blah 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 that may be true. Maybe they helped you and your baby. Maybe they didn't, and they told you that, and that's what you believe. Mm-hmm. That can also be true because they lie. Like all all people lie and cover their own butts. But at the same time, I it deserves a little bit of not mocking, but kind of <laughs> like it's really sure. that bad. It's that bad. And I'm not by putting this information out there and saying things like. You know, did the hospital staff really save you or were they the reason that you needed saving in the first place mm-hmm. to get people to question? Wait a minute. Like if, if they hadn't given me that, if they hadn't told me I only had to 40 weeks to have my baby and they hadn't given me Cervidil to ripen my cervix and then Pitocin upon Pitocin upon Pitocin. And then I asked for an epidural and now I'm on my back and I'm in a bed and I have this continuous monitor and now the baby's heart rate is dropping and my blood pressure is dropping and now an emergency happens and I have to go have surgery. If I had never consented to them messing with me in the first place, would that emergency ever have happened? 
Mm-hmm. Because at the end, it looks like, wow, this crazy thing happened. Good thing we were in the hospital. Good thing someone was there to save the baby and save me. And I'm so thankful. Should you be? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, perspective, right? For every story you hear, I had an emergency C-section. Have you ever heard anyone besides like a voluntary oh. second one ever say that it was anything other than an emergency? Just it's always an there. emergency. No, I actually, no. I put, a, I made a reel on that too. It says, what, what's something that you're going to get a lot of hate for if you say it out loud? And I, and I typed out, most emergency C-sections aren't actual emergencies. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. Because if they call it an emergency, an emergency is like, someone's going to die if you don't do this right now. And that does mm-hmm. happen. It does happen. But it's called a crash C-section where they put you under anesthesia. You're out and the baby's out in like a minute you know, as soon as they can get the baby out. If you've got time to decide on this, if you've got time to plan, they have time to get the anesthesiologist ready and prep you properly and all of that, it's not an emergency. They're calling it an emergency because they want you to think that we have to do this. Mm -hmm. And if it is an emergency, a lot of times it's caused by what they did to you. Mm -hmm. If they didn't do those things, your baby wouldn't have been in distress. You wouldn't have lost consciousness or too much blood or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I just, I want people to think about their stories, those people mm-hmm. that I get messages from. And, you know, some of them, they actually are, you have to be in a place where you're ready to accept that what was told to you and the, what you believe is your reality was actually a lie and that you were lied to and that you were abused. You have to be in a place to accept that fact. But some people actually will, and some people will defend it to the end. Um, especially if they are someone who is a uh, hospital staff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fair enough. They're, they're, well, for they're every emergency, right? How many apologies have you ever heard? Or how many, uh, we were wrong. That wasn't oh, they, necessary. They can't, like, then you'd none. sue them. Yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't yeah. say that. So they are literally in a position where they can't do that. You know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about power just in general um, mm-hmm. and thought that you had put out there in your birth affirmation cards was, it's not pain, it's power. Mm-hmm. And it took me until actual labor with my fourth to realize like what that meant and to experience that firsthand. Mm-hmm. And there is this sense of power when it comes to birth. And I feel like we're not talking about it in terms of power. Like who are we giving our power to? Are mm-hmm. we tapping into the power that is within ourselves? Um, or are we just handing over the power to our provider? You know, one of the questions I had on this list to ask you was, you know, what do you recommend women do or say if a provider or a birth team like labor and delivery nurses, like don't like birth plans or poo poo birth plans, like openly just say like, And that got me thinking about power, like thinking about what it is you just said. And like, who do we give the power to? Are we providing our providers with the the power and saying like, here's my birth plan. Do you like this or not? Yes. Or or are we maintaining that power (sighs) within ourselves to educate ourselves and to speak our preferences and to recenter birth on ourselves? So I see now the flaws in uh, that question, but I was wondering if you wanted to comment on that. Well, I feel like, I mean, this is a, it's a really funny phenomenon to me um, that even women who are, they're usually really strong, really bold, run their Mm -hmm. own businesses, um, you know, do all the things and don't have a problem saying their preferences normally or uh, doing research or um, going against the norm normally, they get pregnant and they defer. 
They put their hands up and they say, I don't know what's going on in there. You must know because you have machines and I'm going to let you tell me because I think it's partially because they don't want the responsibility. They don't want the responsibility that it's hard to take on that responsibility to say, this is my choice. There's a risk to everything. There's a risk to doing something. There's a risk to doing nothing. And whatever the outcome, it was my choice. And I have to live with that choice one way or the other. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, it's a lot It's a lot of pressure, especially when it's your first time and everyone's telling you you should be doing X because that's what everyone does. And just go go to the hospital because it's the safest. And why would you not be there? And isn't that irresponsible? It's a lot of pressure on women to be making those choices. And so a lot of women just don't want, they don't want that responsibility. Um, I am not that way. I, <laughs> I want to make my own choices. But I, I was that way when I went into the hospital. I said Same. eventually, you know, I had been pushing for four hours with an epidural because, I, you know, I can't feel my body. And eventually hmm. deferred to them and said, if you think based on what you see here, which is not the right thing to say, that this is not going to work out, I tr like I trust your judgment um, rather than trusting myself. And I said, okay, I'll finally agree for you to cut this baby out of my body now. And, you know, like I said in the beginning, it was not the wrong choice because I, I learned a lot from it. But at the same time, I wasn't the one in control in that room. You know, once you leave your house, I mean, even if you're at your house, if you have the wrong midwife, you lose that control. You step out of your home. That's the first intervention. That's you're now on someone else's turf. You're under different rules. These people have a different perspective than you might have. And you may be the one causing trouble. And mm. if you take on the responsibility, I find that women who want to be the decision makers of their their lives and their families and their births. Eventually, if they really want that, all of it, they really realize that they can't do that in a hospital setting. Mm -hmm. You can't. You just, it's very unlikely. And you should be on the top of the pyramid. I have a, right. a visual in, in the workbook I'm working on that shows how it normally is, like the, the, the hierarchy of care. Who should be right. on top and who should be on the bottom? You should be on top. It should be That's you right. telling them what you want. And them, sure, as a consultant, can tell you what they believe, what they've seen, give you information, but it should be your decision ultimately. And that's not how it is at all. The provider's on top and you're down at the bottom. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? I'm really stuck on this whole like causing trouble thing because that yeah. is exactly it. And there's a part of me that... Oh my gosh, my mind works a mile a minute. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, man, yeah, I was like viewed as a troublemaker, you know, kind of thing. And that's mm -hmm. like a, a personal trigger for me. Gosh, never mind putting me in the most vulnerable moment of my life. Mm -hmm. And then another part of me is like, Yeah, cause trouble, ladies, put that <laughs> at the top of your birth plan. I'm, I'm putting that on my list of we've now decided on two new t shirts. The next t-shirt will be <laughs> cause trouble, causing trouble, <laughs> causing trouble. Well, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and then you know what's really interesting. If you think of that from like a social perspective, 
We are by putting ourselves at the top, right? That's how it should be. Like if we sat down in a room and had an educated conversation with some academics, okay, they'd probably Mm. tell us that. (laughs) Yes, it's like we can agree on that. We can agree that mom should be at the top of that pyramid. Absolutely. Who says that that's not it, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then when other people aren't adhering to that pyramid, And we point that out to them and be like, hey, yikes, actually, birthing mom in the room, you know, like, I'm just gonna like, go ahead and tell everyone that you you guys are actually kind of messing up a little bit by not putting me, you know, at, at at the top of this. They're like, oh, well, that's selfish. Or, oh, you're causing trouble. Or nobody likes to be point to have it pointed out that they're messing up, especially in like an intense situation. That's so that's so funny to me that I can see very, very, very clearly that, yeah, we're suddenly viewed as causing trouble when it's put Mm -hmm. into application, when we're like, you guys really aren't getting it, are you? Like, the mom needs to be at the top, and oh, you're starting to put it at the bottom again, time to put it back at the top, Mm -hmm. and you're viewed for causing trouble by pointing out that other people are messing up in that situation. I mean, it's time to cause some trouble. It's fine. Let's cause some trouble. They don't don't like to be called, especially, and knowing... I feel like doing your research when it comes to your prenatal care and your birth plan is really great because it gives you the opportunity to, ahead of your appointments, if you're still doing your prenatal care, know your options or get your questions ready. And then you can, when you see your provider, you can ask them these questions and watch the face (laughs) that comes on to their face. Like, is it one of shock, irritation, fear Mm -hmm. that you are asking them a question they don't have the answer to, Mm -hmm. that you are wanting something they're not comfortable with. And that can give you time to realize you're in the wrong place and switch and find someplace new to be. Um, And that's, that's why it's important to do it early on. And, you know, I, during that two years of my PTSD from my first birth, I became like a shell of myself, Mm -hmm. how I am now and how I was before that was about the same as far as like, I just tell you how it is. This is, I'm the same around everyone. I'm not going to pretend I can't lie. I talk about things that you might not like. I just, and I don't care. (laughs) I just don't Mm -hmm. care. I don't care. And if you're the kind of person that, you know, respects that in a person um, and doesn't feel like you need to beat around the bush or, you know, lie to people, then we can be friends and I can be around you. Um, I don't feel like that's something you could, you should expect of other people is to placate you all the time so that you're comfortable. Um, so I feel like having that second birth, it brought me out of it and thank goodness (laughs) back to where I am now where, you know, I'm, I think you told me that you're, you're quite tall, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm quite Um, small. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm not even five feet. And I've been told by people that I'm intimidating and, uh, and I'm cool with that because it's obviously not based on my size. It's based on me. And it's, I don't just do this in the, with birth related things. Like if you're doing something to me, that's not okay. I'm going to tell, I'm not going to be rude about it, but I'm going to tell you like what you said was not okay. We need to discuss it. Mm -hmm. And if you decide to ghost and never talk to me again, because you don't have the ability to say I was, I, uh, oh, I was wrong. I'm sorry that I hurt you. Let's talk through it. How can we be better next time? Both of us. 
um, then yeah, I don't, I don't have time for you. Yeah. That's so funny. I'm, um, five, 10 and a half, <laughs> like I'm yeah. pretty, I'm almost a foot taller than you. Yeah. And, yeah. I get that too. I'm, you know, intimidating and it's just kind of funny to me. I, I don't, sometimes I'm flattered by it. Sometimes I'm confused by it or whatnot, yeah. but I will say saying it like it is, it's so easy for me to respect because to me it trans in our world, it translates as so much crap with all the social stigmas and everything, especially around women. But to me, mm-hmm. it's, it says healthy boundaries mm-hmm. <laughs> and it says, um, authenticity and it says, you know, I know where I stand with you. I don't ever question where I stand with you and I'm never at risk of a bait and switch with Sarah. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what I know. You know, what you see is what you get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you yeah. hear is what you get. You know, if you, what I put out, the way that I put out information on my Instagram account and my website, which needs to be redone because I, there's too I many things to focus on. I understand. But <laughs> what I put out there, that's how I am all the time. Yeah. You're not going to, that happens a lot in maternity care, the bait and switch where they claim that, oh, yeah. oh this thing will be okay. And then very last minute they say, oh, well, actually. Oh yeah, for sure. No. You know, when it comes time for your birth, yeah, that's that's not going to happen with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like to know what I'm getting. Yeah, I mm-hmm. agree with that advice of bring your questions, show up, ask them, and then read the room for sure. Right. Read the faces, read the reactions, all of that, and just... And sometimes that reaction is a, um, you know, a deadpan face. Uh, well, we can talk about it later. Like right. when I asked, like, do you allow... Gosh... Just thinking of the words, right? Yeah. But this is what I asked. Put in air quotes now. Yeah. This is what I asked in my, you know, knowing and not knowing all at the same time. You know, do you allow women to carry passport? Well, we'll talk about it when we get there. Hmm. And, you know, then they're talking about stuff at 38 weeks. And then next thing you know, you're, yeah, being induced. And it's just crazy. It's just wild. It's just wild. So I I would put that out there as like a sort of cautionary flag. Just make sure you're not being placated. Like, oh, well, we'll talk about that later. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. If anyone ever but says that, yeah, yeah, yeah to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, 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 uh, no, no, actually. <laughs> just no. Well, yeah. that, that happened to me with my second. I So I first went to an OB just because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do yet. And there was one right down the street. And then I hired a home birth midwife. And then I fired her. And then I tried to find somebody else. And I couldn't. And so I went back to OB care just for the cares portion so that I have something on paper because I was not where I am yet at the time and wasn't sure I didn't want you know CPS to be called or something so I wanted to make sure that I had up you know something on paper at someone's office and one of my first visits I think I was eight weeks I said listen I had a c-section last time it was not necessary I am not doing that again and the nurse practitioner I saw said uh, well, we'll have to see because, you know, the doctor might want to do uh, your schedule repeat if the baby's measuring large or if blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, no, we no, <laughs> that's not we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Mm-hmm. And then I actually I, I started to get a little bit more bold during those appointments and my, the doctor there were two male doctors and one female doctor in that practice. And I didn't want a male doctor. So I saw this one female doctor and I only saw her maybe two or three times. And the first time she came in, she thought she had already seen me as a patient. She came in like, Hey, how you doing? Good to see you again. And I was like, you don't even know where you are right now. And then every time I would go have an appointment with her, I would say like one time I said, Oh, I don't want you to do the Doppler anymore. 
like I've been doing a fetoscope at home and listening to the to the baby's heartbeat at home. You can use a fetoscope if you want. And she was like, uh, like you don't want you don't want it at all. And I was like, no. But if you want to use a fetoscope, you can. She was like, let me see if we have one. And I was like, you don't have one. <laughs> she went out into the hall. I could hear some whisperings, and she had told me, I'm not sure. Uh, honest, honestly, she's like during my schooling there were like two Dopplers and a fetoscope and whoever didn't get to the Dopplers fast enough got the fetoscope. Like they didn't want to use it. So she probably didn't even know how to use one to be honest. But the look of terror on her face (laughs) when I was like, I decline was just like, I don't know. It just made me feel good about myself Mm. that I was standing, not that I made her feel bad, but that I was standing firm in my decision and that I was obviously not her average patient that the average right. patient never questions her the average patient right. doesn't care when she comes at them with a gloved hand well they have no pants on and doesn't explain what she's about to do or a doppler straight onto your stomach and doesn't explain what that is or why I'm doing it mm-hmm. um I wasn't your average patient and that made me feel good about myself that I could say I've done my research I'm standing my ground just because you're not comfortable doesn't mean that this is wrong it just mm-hmm. means you don't know anything about it because you're you weren't taught. Right. And for some perspective, being bold <clears throat> is almost like a prerequisite of motherhood. Like welcome to motherhood. Mm-hmm. You are going to be asked to be bold. You yeah. are going to be asked to set a bold example for your children, especially your daughters. Mm-hmm. You are going to be asked to be strong and to go against the grain and do different things like that. I just, yeah, it's just wild to me that that is not presented as the norm um, Mm -hmm. for moms is that you boldness should not be looked down upon. It should be something that is encouraged and fostered in mothers because we are a hundred percent going to have to use that in our motherhood journey. Well, I think some people use it more than others. I know Mm -hmm. a lot of, I know a lot of women who take, how they were taught to be as children and carry that through their entire lives. Like I have a friend who I was asking her about some of the medical decisions she makes for her kids. And she told me, I don't have time to do someone else's job. And honestly, she, she's a good person. She's not a bad parent. She just is super overwhelmed with the lack of support she has having her and her husband both have full-time jobs, finding the childcare, working on the house, all of the things and the research that's required is it's too much for her to wrap her brain around that in addition. So she found someone who she believes she can trust to make those choices. But to me, that says this, that says the same thing is I trust this person. I'm you know, I'm not smart enough. I don't have the time enough. It's not uh, a priority for me enough to be doing that work. I'm just going to let someone else do it for me because they're better at it kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So there, I think, I think it can go either way. I think with me and clearly with you, it's, it's made me, I mean, I already was bold and then I was, you know, brought down a peg and then came back 10 times stronger. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) But for us, I think it's it really has. It's made me say, you know, I want my kids to have a better life than I had. I want them to have, you know, choices and I want them to be healthy and I want them to be strong and have a happy life. And sometimes that means for me doing what is not the norm or what is not the average. And that can be difficult if you're somebody who cares what other people think. Oh, um, yeah. 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 
Yeah. And so for, it's not for everybody, mm-hmm. but it really helps if you decide to do something different to to have that boldness because you're going to need it. Mm-hmm. I have it. I've always had it, I think. Yeah. And I'm still working on it too. I mm-hmm. still still see sometimes my people pleasing tendencies. I still Mm -hmm. see some of the things that I was, you know, brought up with. And I'm not saying parent wise, I'm saying like society wise, you know, of understanding what my role is and trying to navigate that in a world that really does try to disempower women, and especially disempower mothers. And on the vein of support, um, Mm -hmm. I really, I would like to bring up the other elephant in the room, when it comes to birth plans. Let's do it. Okay. And that is, <laughs> you know, providers aside, what role do you believe partners play in the creation of a birth plan? And I bring this up because this is a strangely controversial topic that people tiptoe around. But I would like to have an open discussion and get your perspective because I I need to offer help and resources to moms who come to me and tell me, and this is the norm when it comes to talk of home birth and birth plans. I have so many moms come to me and say, I want to have a birth plan or no, eh, scratch that. (laughs) I want to have a home birth but my husband doesn't think it's safe. And so he says it's hospital is his choice. (sighs) This is where I insert eye roll emoji. Okay. Here. This, my opinion is this, the, so your partner should be on board with what it is that you want. The reason that they are not is because they are afraid. And they don't understand what it is they're even afraid of. If you ask them and you wanted a home birth, say, I want to have a home birth. And they said, no, it's hospital because that's the safest. And you said, what is it that you're afraid of? They would say 100% of the time, something might happen. Mm-hmm. Okay, but what's something, dearest? What is the something? And they would say, well, I, I don't know. To me, they are just, they're not doing something wrong by having that opinion. They're doing what they were taught by society is what's right to protect their family. Is saying, I want you to be in the safest place possible because I care about you and I care about the baby. But what they don't realize is that's not necessarily the safest place. And also, they're completely disregarding you and saying, by disagreeing with you and saying, no, it's hospital, that you, as the mother of that child, as the partner, would make any decision but what is the most safe and best decision for you and that baby. And that, it makes me kind of mad. Um, but I know that it's not from a place of uh, wanting to be the bad person or, or wanting like, to. Yeah, I, I, I know it's best and you're not smart enough to know exa- that. But that's, ex- what, right. that's what it translates have. Right. That's how I, well, and if, who, who gets to decide? You're the one that's going to go through this process. Right. You're the one that's been growing this baby. You're the one that's going to have this experience. Right. Physical and emotional and spiritual. And it's you who it's going to affect. It's no one else's choice. If your partner is not on board, they should get on board. And what that means is they're they're not the bad guy like i said they're just not informed of what it is that they need to know in order to feel comfortable with the choice that you've made 
that means they need to get educated. They need to take the time to learn what you've learned. Like my husband, my husband saw me through my, my C-section. He was in the room as I was laboring, you know, making horrible sounds. Like what is going on? Is she dying in this bed? He, I looked over at one point between contractions and he was in a chair, just like furiously on his phone, like terrified because he didn't know what to expect. And then when I chose to finally sign that paperwork and have a C-section, he froze rather than saying, this is not what you wanted. Are you sure you want to do this? He was so terrified. He didn't know what to do. Now, second time around, I say, I'm doing this myself. He was like, wait, what? What what are you doing? You know, and I knew that he was a little bit nervous. So I said, this is my choice. He never tried to change my mind, but I wanted him to be more comfortable with my choice. So I sent him some podcast episodes. I showed him some research articles. I gave him the information that he needed to feel comfortable with the situation so we could be on the same page. So if this is you and this is your situation, you you need to be where you're the most comfortable. You need to figure that out for yourself. And then your partner needs to get on board. And you don't have to push them. You can say, you, you can ask them literally, what is it that you're afraid of? Specifically, mm-hmm. specifically, is that if we're at home, I'm going to bleed to death. Um, let me yeah. tell you how how unlikely that is if no one has given me Pitocin, torn out my placenta, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And the fact that home birth midwives, if you have midwives, come equipped for those situations. You need to find out the specifics and then also, you know, maybe talk to someone. Like I recently started doing one-on-one sessions or one-on-two sessions, where, you know, whatever you need. If you need somebody to help you work through what it is that this person's afraid of and get them on the same page as you and find out what you guys need to research together. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to help with that. But don't simply say, oh, my husband's not comfortable. So I went to the hospital. That's a bad idea. That's a Fair bad enough. idea. Fair enough. All the things, so much mm-hmm. to unpack with that. And I'm so <laughs> yeah. on board with what you said, because you hit the nail on the head. Chris and I have talked about this before. The role of the man you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of times his role is that of protector. Mm -hmm. And it took me a really long time to accept that role, honestly, because I was told taught differently about what marriages and relationships and things like that look like, but that is a whole other episode. (laughs) But when I realized that that was a truth about who he is and who he is to me and who he is to this family, and that that is the space that he comes to all the time, all the time. When I think that he's being, you know, a little bit helicoptery with the girls, mm-hmm. he is doing that from the role of protector. He constantly has the protector lens on. And so when we talked about home birth versus hospital birth and all of that, he was like, I'll pull your lead on it. And saying that made me feel supported. Mm-hmm. I still chose, you know, I started to try, I tried the home birth route and I gave up immediately because of what a super negative burnt out midwife said to me. It just blah. And I know that everyone's going <laughs> to want to know. So I'm just going to tell you a uh, sidebar. I had called and was like super excited. I'm pregnant. It's my first. It's a dream come true for me to be a mother. I'm so excited. She was like, Oh, it's your first. And I said, yes. She goes, Oh, you're just going to want an epidural. And my spirit was crushed. <sighs> 
right? So Chris had followed me down like the home birth dream of like, I was like, honey, I'm Mm -hmm. just, I'm crushed. I'm crushed. And I let that affect me to the point that I ended up pursuing an OB because I felt like there weren't any other options. And I did live on an island. So it was super small and was just a lot of times and went the OB route and he supported me there. But if he had said to me, like I hear a lot of other people say, well, they just don't feel comfortable outside of the hospital. I would feel not supported as the mom. I would feel like my first line of defense, my partner in crime, my literal partner in creating this child doesn't support or trust my autonomy, doesn't respect the fact that I am going to be transformed with Mm -hmm. every single birth. I am going to go through a transformation and it is going to be one of the most powerful and meaningful moments of my life or can be. Mm -hmm. with the right support. I think it is anyway. It's whether we like put a damper on that, you know, transformation. It happens anyway. And it's like muted by those around us. And I don't think that's okay. But if we can like understand in the conversation, including the the men who come to the table, the partners who come to the table and say, um, you know, are honest and say, I feel like this sense of protection, like I need to be protecting you. The the thing that needs to happen in that protector role is conquering your fears, like you're talking mm-hmm. about. You know, as much as I'm like, get bold, ladies, welcome to motherhood, you're going to have to be bold. <laughs> I also want to say you've got to conquer your fears, like welcome mm-hmm. to parenting. You are mm-hmm. going to have to conquer your fears because things are going to happen literally all the time. And you're going to be afraid and you're going to have fear and you're going to bring that to the table. And the way to get around that is to not to like default to what society tells you is the quote unquote safest route, but to explore it more and conquer those fears. And you conquer those fears with you said it, you get educated, Mm -hmm. you educate yourself, you get informed. And that's where that confidence comes in. And the more confident you are, the easier it is to support the birthing woman and put her at the top of that triangle again. Mm -hmm. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with that for sure. So well, and it applies, applies everywhere. That Mm. same, you know, getting yourself educated, like we we decided to homeschool our kids and our first son is six. So he was in kindergarten this year. And first grade next year. And I just went to a meeting at our town hall where I had met homeschool, potential homeschool parents I had never met before. And this one woman raised her hand and had a question and said, how do I bring this up? My want to do to homeschool? How do Mm -hmm. I bring this up in my family? Because everyone is an educator. And she literally was like tearing up because she was worried about it. And I raised my hand and said to her, it sounds like you're not feeling confident in your choice yet because you don't know how to you don't know how you're going to go about it yet you don't know all the information you're feeling insecure about your choice once you get educated about you know what exactly you're going to do how you're going to do it you make a plan these people bring it up to you and you don't feel like they can bring you down anymore you can say this is my choice you want to know more about it i'm happy to discuss it but it's it's my child it's my choice and this is what's best for my family. But when you don't know the background information and this is just a new idea to you mm-hmm. and everyone else in your family is, you know, is an educator who works in the public school system and they're going to treat you like you're an idiot. Um, you might not feel so confident in that choice. So, but it's the same. It applies everywhere. So learning it while you're pregnant, learning mm-hmm. it before you have a baby, I mean, it's going to serve you in all all aspects of your life. 
Mm-hmm. Here's an example. I met a, a a woman the other day who shared with me that she was newly pregnant and um, she was so excited. And, you know, I gave her that awkward, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you. Total stranger hug. And yeah, and, uh, <laughs> because I, I think it's such great news when I yeah. hear that. I was so stoked for her. And I was like, oh, do you know if you're going to do a hospital or a home birth yet? You know, you've mm-hmm. been thinking about it. And, mm-hmm. and she was like, I really want to do a home birth, but my boyfriend's not on board with it because he lives two hours away, you know, and is afraid he might not make it to the birth in time. Mm. And as a person who's had four babies, I'm like, <laughs> wow, that is such a, um, new, newly pregnant first time thing, way of thinking, you know, yeah. of like, I'll tell you a secret when it gets close to the time of when the baby is going to come your boyfriend's going to be a lot closer, a lot more often in anticipation that you are going to go into labor. There is like a definite shift that happens when you get close to to labor. And it's like, almost like this biological sort of like, okay, we're going to spend a lot of time in the den now together, you know, Mm -hmm. waiting for this moment to happen. And it's just like, not a worry that you actually need to necessarily have on your radar, but it is a worry that might be one of the first things because I'm afraid I won't make it in time. Right. It's that fear. And once you conquer that and talk with people who can help you understand what it's like at the end of pregnancy, what it's like when that time comes, we can get rid of that fear and replace it with an understanding of what that um, end of pregnancy time is actually like. Well, and I would say that's it's a first time mom thing to think that two hours is going to make him miss it because it's probably going to be a lot longer than that once your labor right. starts. That's right. Like first, first time, my first time I was in labor for, I don't know, 30 something hours before I had a C-section. And then my second one, 38 hours from the first real contraction till he was born. And the third was like 23 hours. Like there'll be time for yeah. him to drive. But also on that note, he lives two hours away. How does that make the hospital better? Like, why does it matter? Is the hospital halfway between where he lives and where she lives? Or why don't you just like go to his house and stay there? Or mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? How does, I could understand, I get the sentiment behind the hospital is safer, but I don't get the sentiment mm-hmm. behind we'll go to the hospital because he lives far away. Like, mm-hmm. why? <laughs> right. And sometimes it takes speaking those fears out loud. And instead of just accepting them and being like, okay. That's it. I I get it. I can understand that. It takes finding out more information and thinking about it from different perspectives and bringing in those perspectives, I think would be super helpful and help blast through some of those awkward conversations of like, this is new to us. I feel really insecure. A lot of my Mm -hmm. fears are, are welling up inside of me. And maybe I'm saying them out loud. Maybe I'm not saying them out loud, but now we're going to make a bunch of decisions based on fear. That's how we got into this birth culture mess in the first place. Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, man, this is so awesome. (laughs) I'm so stoked. You actually have a birth plan template on your website and so many resources for moms. I'd actually love for you to share a little bit more about some of your offerings and what it is you offer on your website. Sure. So I'm changing it all the time because I have ADHD and I'm (laughs) trying to write this book that I told you about, but then I'm like, maybe I should make earrings. (laughs) <laughs> or maybe I should make t-shirts, which you um, did. <laughs> which I did, which I did. Um, so I add things all the time, but I, what I have standard on there is I have consults. So I do one-on-one consults, half hour, an hour. Um, you can just, we can chat for half an hour about just all the things you're trying to work out, 
or mm-hmm. you can do a full hour and we can really get into things or you could do multiple sessions if you wanted. I think it's really helpful for people because they don't, they're going to go to their appointments and they're not getting the information they need. And it's a lot of work to be f- trying to figure all this stuff out and do your own research. It's nice to have somebody who's kind of a point person who can say, no, you're being lied to. Here's the other options or you know, whatever it is and get to your specific questions. Because I can't, I answer questions on Instagram, but I can't get in depth typing right. with my thumbs while I'm breastfeeding. Oh. Like I just can't, this is my, this is my challenge too. (laughs) Yeah. And I want to be able to give you the attention that you need and the focus that you need. And for that, we need to schedule a time. Um, so I do one-on-one sessions. I have some jewelry up there. It's all motherhood, birth, breastfeeding related. One t-shirt at this point, I have affirmation cards. So they're coloring cards, which are, I think are nice because they go along. I like line drawings. Um, really simple, minimalistic things. And so it's all uh, messages to help you through your labor and birth and really pretty drawings that you can color, your kids can color. Some people choose to bring them to baby shower and have a friend color each one and write a message on the back. Mm -hmm. And then you can keep them in a book or you can string them up with lights or bring them to your, the hospital with you or whatever it is you decide to do. Um, I make art so like drawings and stuff, motherhood related, birth related, kit nursery related. Uh, I don't know what else I do. <laughs> I know you have the birth plan on there too. Yeah, the birth plan. And then I have a couple of birth, um, birth related like PDFs mm-hmm. that they're not necessarily for everyone. They're more for birth workers, I think, at this stage because I need to expand the what is available to uh, people who would be using it to plan their births. Mm -hmm. But I have something up there about a lot of people are told their pelvis is too small. It's a lie. Here's five reasons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Or why are no babies born on holidays statistically uh, ever one on that. Um, So I have some education pieces up. Um, But for now, I think that's, that's about it. Cause I really want, I think the, really important thing that I need to get out is that book because there is no information out there about prenatal care. What's going to be like, most people just say, Oh, I'm pregnant. I'm going to go to my eight week appointment. They have no idea what's going to be presented to them. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what's going to be presented to you at that appointment, how can you know if you want it? How can you know if you need it? How can you know if there are repercussions? How can you know if there are alternatives? You can't Mm -hmm. because you're just surprised at every appointment. And I, I don't know about, everybody who's listening, but I like to know what I'm going to have to make decisions on. Mm-hmm. You know, like what if you go to that eight week appointment and their standard is an ultrasound and you don't want one, but you don't know why. And you don't feel uh, secure in your decision to refuse it because you feel like they're making you think it's important and you're negligent. But if you know you don't want it and you know why you can say, no, thanks. I decline. Like you don't have to give a reason. It's nobody's business. Um, but if you're not ready to do that, you might do things you don't want to do. So I think that will be the most important thing that I put out. And then Lori and I are going to, Lori Beth and I are going to collaborate. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my middle name is Elizabeth and I used to call myself Sarah Beth. Aww. Because there were so many Sarahs. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so we're going, we're planning on collaborating on helping people plan for birth. So whether it's with you just you or your partner as well to we're making a workshop for 
birth planning so that you don't have to do it alone, which I think is was a great thing that you said when we talked about this is that you might feel like you're alone if you're doing this on your computer, on your phone, trying to figure out all the things. What do I need to make decisions about? Do I use this plan? Do I use this plan? Do I need this thing? Do I not? It can be really overwhelming. So to go through it in an organized way with a plan that's already done and understand what's going to be expected of you during that time and have time to answer, you know, for us to answer your questions and to go over all the thing you're, things you're going to make choices about, I think is going to be really helpful mm-hmm. for so many people. It's so exciting. I am like, <laughs> I'm actually, I'm like, oh, I'm bursting, actually. I think this is so fantastic. I'm so stoked that you're putting this together. I'm absolutely honored to collaborate with you on this because I don't want people to feel like they're doing it alone because mm-hmm. a lot of those fears kind of come up and you need to, how can you work through them? How can you conquer fears? How can you learn to be bold? How can you educate yourself if you feel like you're doing it alone? Or, you know, even partners feel like they're doing it alone sometimes. And it can yes. feel like, you know, you guys against the world you know, and it doesn't have Mm -hmm. to feel that way because there are so many of us out there who want to sit down with you, have a cup of coffee with you and work through it and write through it and answer questions and, and just break through those fears in a, in a wonderful, supportive, lovely sit down session, you know, in real time, it's going to be so awesome. And that is going to be July 16th. Yes. So this will be, I'm going to be doing this as a series. So if for some reason you can't attend this particular one, you can also get a recording of it and it can be sent to you because everyone's in different time zones. Everyone has different schedules. Um, You just won't have the live Q&A portion. Um, But we will, everyone who attends will get a copy of the birth plan. And I'm going to make a list of uh, a few resources too, books I like, websites I like, so that you have a jumping point once you realize what each thing on the plan is that you're going to need to make a choice about, you're going to want to then use that as a jumping point for more research. For some people, it might be the end. Oh, I'm just going to pick whatever. But if you're somebody who likes to really do research um, and wants to know both sides and wants to know what's best, you can use it as kind of a list of things to, to learn more about. And if you need personalized help, I'm happy to do a consult as well. So you don't have to feel like you're left out in the dust after that. But there will be hopefully a, a group of people who come and, you know, get educated, leave the workshop feeling like they know a whole lot more than when they came in, feeling more secure in their options and their choices and have better birth experiences because of it. Oh, I think it's so awesome. It's going to be so good. Well, I know my listeners are going to want to connect with you more in general. Where can they find you? So most of the time I am, I'm birth uprising because the birth world needs an uprising mm-hmm. <laughs> on Instagram. Um, birthuprising.com is my website. And I have a Facebook page, but I really just repost <laughs> Instagram stuff and then t- cr- cut off all the comments because no one's nice on Facebook. It's they true. always have mean stuff to say. So you can see my stuff, but if you want to be mean to me, you have to send me a message. <laughs> I get it. And, that really I ditched keeps it Facebook down. for that same reason. Totally. Yeah. So I will link to your Instagram and your website in the show notes, Sarah. Thank you so much. This has been so awesome. I really appreciate you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's been really fun. That's it for this episode of Elevating Motherhood. Thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found some insight and inspiration or maybe a little of both. 
If you like today's show, please leave a review on iTunes. I use your feedback to plan future shows and cover topics that serve you. You can also connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. Links to those accounts are in the show notes. For more information, including today's show notes, head to elevatingmotherhood.com. That's elevatingmotherhood.com. Thanks again, Mama. I appreciate you.